Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and this is The Life Shift. Candid conversations about the pivotal moments that change lives forever. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Life Shift podcast. I am here with Aaron Browning, and we connected actually a couple months ago, and we've been working on a, a schedule so that we could record because I think that she has a story that a lot of people, unfortunately, and in some cases, fortunately, can connect with. So thank you for being here, Aaron. Thank you for having me, Matt. Um, I'm really grateful to be here and to be able to just share my story with other people and make a difference in that way. So thank you for having me. You are most welcome. That's what I love about the Life Shift podcast. I actually got a message the other day from a friend of mine who said, I swear, I connect with every story that's being shared on your podcast. And what's funny about that is that every story is like really different, right? But there are so many commonalities that we as humans experience, whether uh, it's through loss or whether it's through a, a celebration of something or changing a job or whatever it may be. And so I love that, you know, people are so willing to share vulnerability and their story and, and kind of the growth that comes from it. So it's, it's, it's really fun process. It is fun. And I'm glad to be here with you. Since I like to go into these, you know, as authentically as possible, perhaps you can paint the picture of Aaron before this pivotal moment that we're going to talk about kind of what your day to day, who you were, what you were doing, what life looked like for you so that we can have a good understanding. Let me think about a timeline and a good logical starting point. So probably seven or so years ago, I had a divorce. At that point, I was, after the divorce, I was in a relationship with a man. I had a stepson. So we had a pretty stable, steady, traditional, I guess, home life. My education is as a speech language pathologist, and I worked in a hospital. So I would go to work every day. I would see clients who could not communicate properly. Most of my clients don't have proper voicing or swallowing. So you do a lot of work on breathing, voicing, and I would go to a hospital every single day, come home, cook dinner, take the kid to ski races, you know, 
standard, very standard life. Uh, That's what life looked like. And let me say, I had come from something not so wonderful. I had had a not so great marriage that I was in for a, a good while. And so when I found my significant other, Dave, I was just, it was just love. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. And I found a sense of family uh, that I really had not had in my adult life with him and his son. Very stable. Yeah, you found something that was completely different than what you had experienced and maybe something when you were in that previous space that you couldn't actually imagine. Yes, and and this is not even where the shift happens, right? Yeah. So I just, I had like this not so great space and then this really beautiful, magical space. And again, it was very stable. Like, I think that was one of the pieces. There are pieces of being a step parent that are chaotic just inherently and raising a teenage boy that are inherently chaotic. However, in comparison to like the grand scheme of life, I had a really lovely, easy, beautiful life. Um, We were very active. We loved to go we love to travel. We love to listen to live music. We spent a lot of time at ski resorts. Uh, we love to be out on the boat. Just a, a pretty fun time. And so that was really good. And I had no concept of what it would be like not to have that in my world. It, it never entered my imagination that this life, this beautiful life I had created, could potentially go away. So we had this beautiful love story, and then we had a normal evening. We had a normal night. Dave was 55 years old. We had Mexican food, margaritas, lots of fun. His child was on vacation with his mother. It was actually December 7th, which is the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, Um, like so all this destruction and And I didn't know that. He told me about that that night, though. And so we had this beautiful, fun evening. And then we came home and he had a heart attack. Massive heart attack. Everything seemed normal. In hindsight, there might have been some indications. But in that episode, I had no idea. So he has this massive heart attack. And within an instant, he was dead. Oh, wow. And, and that idyllic life that you had been in as a part of that felt just like so fitting suddenly was over in, in a matter of moments. Yeah, it was gone. And it's like, and, and I think a lot of people can relate to situations in which there's this, this, this like massive moment in which everything you knew is now like, it doesn't matter. Like there it's, it's changed forever. A huge changing moment. And so it was interesting in that, in that moment. So hopefully this isn't too much, but I I'll give some more details about the evening. So I had gone to bed. We had both gone to bed. Actually, he went to bed before me and he actually asked for antacids at one point, which is like classic heart attack um, that you have indigestion. Yeah. It's a classic indicator, especially for a man that indigestion um, is an indication you might be having a heart attack. He had had 
you know, we had just eaten fajitas and right. margaritas. Right. And it's like, yeah. So I asked him more than once, though, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Because this was out of the norm for him? Yeah. 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 And he was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. So we went to bed and he said to me when we went to bed, if I'm not, if I can't get comfortable because I've got this indigestion, I may go lie down on the couch and watch Mm -hmm. television so I don't keep you awake. So like 30, 40 minutes later, I woke up and I heard a really loud um, noise and I immediately went in the living room and he, I like walked over to him and he was taking his last breath. Oh, wow. And so I went through all the motions, like drug him into the floor and I'll give a little context. I am five, two, Hmm. stretching it, (laughs) 125 (laughs) pounds. Yeah. 125 pounds. And he was like six, three two. you know, huge, big man. So I'm like, not even thinking, you know, I know CPR, I've worked in a hospital, but I had to like get him in the floor and go through all those motions, call 911. So I did all of those things, but I knew instantly it wasn't, the outcome was not going to be what I wanted it to be. I knew it. Do you think you knew that from your hospital experience or just, just the sense that you had kind of the whole night as you were asking them these questions? Do you feel like you had that intuition earlier too, when you were asking him? Yes. 100%. And I can tell you there were several moments throughout the night that I think we both knew. It was a really, really, oh, the whole night was very sacred. And it was like we lived lifetimes in six hours. We talked about death. We talked about just heavy, important things in that time frame. And I think he knew and just wanted to be present instead of being worried and scrambling. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating too, because you think like, I mean, looking back, you're like, I could have done X, Y, and Z, but in the moment you're like, this is all I ever wanted. Right. These are the conversations that, that make those connections of people. And you might get into this, but do you feel I don't know if guilt is the right word, but do you feel a sense of like, I wish I had done something or I wish there was something I could have done in that moment? Okay. So early on in grief, I had no guilt, none. Like probably the first three months I was in a cocoon. I was in this like protected cocoon. Yeah. What was that like? Like that cocoon? It was very strange because on one hand, I was deeply, deeply sad. But on another level, I felt so connected and present with him. It was like I still was just connected to him. And I didn't have any of that guilt at all. That's a protection. Yeah, that cocoon is like, yeah, like disbelief, I guess. Yeah. And I think we can only handle as humans, we can only handle so much of that tragedy at once. So it comes to us in like titrated amounts Yes, so that we can heal from it. You know, it's interesting that night. So I knew he was dying and I called 911 and they came very quickly right. and started doing their job. And I kind of stepped back and I was standing like behind a couch and he was in the floor in front of the couch. And I looked and there was a key moment where I just said to myself, oh my gosh, I have to let go. Like, I just knew it. Instantly, I knew it. And I started, and I'm not, like, I'm not a praying 
really kind of girl, I guess. Like I'm not um, a devout Christian or anything uh, like that. Um, I do, I live heart centered though. And I just started saying whatever is in the highest, whatever is in the highest. And then I was like, why am I saying that? Shouldn't I be saying live, live. Right. But you knew. (laughs) I knew. I absolutely knew like I had to just let go. And so it was very interesting, like this dynamic, and that's not my personality. So like Aaron in that life before I had a plan, I had a Mm. schedule. I was very, like very type A. I'm a hyper achiever. I had a master's degree when I was 22 years old, you know, like just, I did all the things very quickly and expediently and in my control. And in that instant, I knew that was no longer possible. As you were watching the last moments. Yeah. Yeah. Of him die. Yeah. I'm the same way. And in the sense of, or I was, mm, I still am, but there's a lot of control that I like to have. But in these big moments, I've also experienced like a sudden death in my life that really changed things. Kind of the reason the life shift podcast exists, but, and then I watched someone I love dearly, slowly die. And I can relate to that letting go feeling. And I would imagine that it's hard to say. Is that hard to admit that you were like, okay? Oh, yes. Right? Because like you said, you're, you're like, I should be saying, live, like, do everything you can. But then you're like, no, it's time. I get, I I feel it. Do you think that's because of the connection that you had to Dave? I do. I do think that was our connection. And he even laid groundwork that night. So I will tell you another little story of that night. We, when we were at dinner, he said, I need to talk to you about something. Okay. That's the and worst. he said, you've got it right. <laughs> and he was like, I just need you to understand me and hear me. You have to stop trying to fix things. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, I mean, Aaron, he was like, you scramble around this house and like, I can't find my, the proper ski socks. And you're like, let me go find them. And he's like, if the kid forgets his lunch, you're immediately making him another lunch and trying to fix everything. He said, you have to stop this. It's not good for you. So I thought, okay. And I just like listened to him. Okay, sure. And then we came home and we were watching television and he squeezed my leg a little too hard. And I looked over at him and I said, are you sure you're okay? Yeah. And so in hindsight, I think it was pain. Mm. I think he may have been having some chest pains and he squeezed my leg and when I said, are you sure you're okay? He looked to me and he said, love, it's fine. And even if it's not, it's not yours to fix. Wow. It's so interesting. Like all the signs, right? And so that night you had all these little, like he, like he, like you said, he knew something was up and that he wanted you to know that you were going to be okay and that this was not your situation to kind of figure out for him. Right. And 
six weeks before he died, we had a whole conversation where he told me, I'm an old man. I'm going to die before you and you have to get on with your life. Do not stay in this house and write all day long. Do not turn into a hermit and read books all day long. He knew my tendencies. You have to live your life. You have to find love again. You have to live. Right. And so when he passed, you took three months to do the things that he told you not to do, (laughs) but probably the things that you knew you needed to do to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I clung so hard for those first three months. I just clung on to everything familiar. I tried to get his son to continue to stay with me. I drove his son to like his job at the ski resort every weekend, which was bizarre. I mean, this is a 16-year-old kid, and I'm not even legally his stepmother. I mean, he will call me his stepmother, and I call him my stepson, but I just wanted everything to be the same. Right. And that Dave was on a trip or something like he just was not in the house, but he'll be back. Right. So that wasn't working. And then I went on a a short vacation. I went to Florida. I had a great friend who called me within a week. And she said, when you're ready to go somewhere warm, tell me and I'll take you. So he died in December. We went to Florida in February And it was a wonderful gift. I did not want to go. I was having massive anxiety about leaving. Didn't want to go. Didn't want to go. And I told her on that trip, however, I said, I I can't live here again next winter. I will not be in West Virginia next winter. I cannot do it. And I said, I would love to figure out how can I live in a little beach town, even if it's just for a couple months, like, how do I make this happen in my life? So I told her these things and none of that came to fruition though, until many, many months later. And I wasn't even actively thinking about doing it, but it, it happened. What do you think was, do you think there was a moment in which you were ready to kind of take those little steps and like admit that it was time to go on that vacation? Was there something that was like, okay, you had your time? Uh, that's a good question. So I felt like I was just kind of festering where I was and I was so cold, <laughs> chilled to the bone, cold. And sometimes uh, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I was just so, so cold. I was, taking baths like three times a day, just taking hot baths. Um, I was walking miles and miles and miles. I would like bundle up in all my snow gear and just run and walk to try to warm myself up. Mm. Were you still working at the time? Yeah. I went back to work like a week after he died because it was a pandemic and my colleague had, she got COVID. There was no one else to do the the job and it was right before the holidays. So I just went back to work, but I was only working part-time. So it wasn't a full-time thing. Do you think going back was helpful or harmful for your journey afterwards? Uh, I think it was helpful. There was a piece of it where it was almost like you have to get back on the horse, right? Uh, So within a couple of months, I had to do CPR training at work. 
but they make us do like these quarterly modules and it, the I don't know if you've done this recently, but these these mannequins tell you like you're not compressing hard enough or and how many the percentage and I was it was maddening to me because I was like, oh, my God, it's that seven percent, you know, that I didn't compress hard enough or. I kept trying to dissect this and I was actually in therapy and my therapist said, why can't you just like talk to them? I'll write you an excuse. Like you don't need to do that again. And I said, no, I think I do. So there's a piece of me, my personality and who I am at my core that I'm more of like a get in it kind of girl, (laughs) you know? Which is interesting because you also said that you were, cocooning for a while too so it's like you had these two parts of you competing and the reason I asked that original question about was it harmful or not because because of what you said about that whole like I just wanted everything to be the same and so part of me thinks well is going back to the same prolonging you know that that space yeah, possibly, but I I believe that grief is similar to life in that time lets it evolve, right? So it, just this past week, this past Tuesday was the one and a half year marker of Dave's death. And it was amazing how much more peaceful I was from even the one year marker. So I kind of went back through that in my mind and thought time just does a really great job of of helping us. So I think that it could be helpful for some people and harmful for some people to go back into what was normal. I think it's fair, but I think what actually happens is you're eventually going to encounter it. Mm-hmm. So you can encounter it all at once. Right. <laughs> you know, you mean grief? Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it keeps coming. Yeah. Oh, it's for not sure. like, yeah, I don't think you can, uh, go like into the grief bubble and then move into the life bubble. That's what I thought. <laughs> I That's wanted that. Yeah. And honestly, I wanted that for myself, from my experiences, and I, I've said this on my episode, and I, I said it in our little bonus episode, the first one that we did. But so I was eight when my mom died. And so when she died, my father lived in another state. So everything about my I could not resume life like it was the day before right like new school new place to live new state new accents new everything right and then it took me to your point of you just can't go back it took me about 20 years or so to like fully grieve my mom and it was a lot of you know pushing it back pretending things performative for the people around me a lot of it wasn't really for me it didn't serve me well but once I got through it it actually helped me do what you said you wish you could have done, right? When my grandmother got really sick and and was passing, I was able to have a very similar evening uh, that you had with Dave where you were talking about all the big important things and kind of almost closing the door, wrapping a little button of like, these are all the things we needed to say. And I was able to do that with my grandmother. But when she finally passed, I felt that I, I... quit everything for a moment. I took some some leave from work and, and all these things, but I was able to process everything really quickly and then get to a new version of my life very quickly. So I think it's really interesting hearing other people's grief stories 
because there's common pieces, but everyone's is so different. And the key thing that you said, I think, is the time aspect, right? There's no predetermined, like at three months, you do this. Right. So when early on, I started re lurking around on in these widow groups because I wasn't legally a widow. So I didn't feel like I could say I was a widow. I've learned differently since that that's kind of garbage. And anybody who's a widow will say you're a widow too, right? If you want to have that label. <laughs> but early on, I kept reading year two is harder than year one. And I thought, no way. Absolutely not. <laughs> this this cannot not be the case. This is not real. So kind of like as the shift occurred in my life, what happened was, so the first three months I was in a cocoon, and then I started like maneuvering out of that a bit um, and knowing I needed to do something more, but I couldn't figure out what it was. I was just so confused. I needed to do something different, didn't know what. So I started doing like buying a bunch of clothes <laughs> and <laughs> styling my hair. Yes. Styling my hair differently. And then I got on uh, the dating apps <laughs> like six months. I, w I woke up and I was like, I'm not dead. Yes. What? What just yeah, happened here? Right. And, and he so I got on date. He did. I don't know if he wanted me to get on Tinder because that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. If you've never been on Tinder as a 42 year old, uh, it's a whole, it was a whole new world <laughs> out there. Hey, you were trying new things. Um, I was trying new things. Uh, and then I thought I had a plan in mind of where I was going to go and live and it didn't work out. None of that worked out the way I thought it would. And I felt a bit shaken, but within a week I like reconfigured plans and I said, this is what I'm doing. And I booked a writer residency in Oaxaca, Mexico. And I traveled with a dear friend of mine to the Southwest for the winter and then I thought I was just going to quit my job as a speech pathologist. And I have been doing breath work and Ayurvedic health counseling too. I did both things kind of part-time. And I thought I'm just going to quit the speech stuff and go all in with the breathing and Ayurveda. Although that takes a lot more emotional energy to support people in that way for me. So I went to my employer and I said, I'm, I'm out, not doing it. I'm yeah. quitting. And they were like, what? <laughs> why don't you just do telehealth? <laughs> like you did that during the pandemic and we don't really want to lose you. We feel like you do great work here. You've got a strong foothold in your career. Why, why are you throwing right. it all away? And I said, Oh, maybe I will. <laughs> so it has, it afforded me the ability to like to live kind of as a digital nomad yeah, for almost a year. And I've traveled wherever I really wanted to. Um, I mean, I had to do a few, jump through a few hoops with licensure, but I've lived all over and still been of service, done good work. Yeah. In a way that I didn't have to burn it all down. And I will tell you, burning it all down is my tendency. I mean, i I really actually burned furniture. I burned clothing. Like literal burning. We're not talking metaphor here. No, no. <laughs> literal burning. I had never done the literal burning until I've always been a burn it down metaphorically yeah. kind of gal. But then when I was leaving West Virginia, 
there were certain things that I didn't know what to do with. So I got rid of all my possessions uh, except for what fit in my car. And I sent six boxes to my parents' house that had like, you know, random things in it, art that I didn't want to get rid of, that kind of thing. But like I had this coat, this uh, winter coat that was Dave's and I had worn that dirty coat around all winter long, (laughs) but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't want to give it to anybody else. And I was tired of wearing the dirty coat. So I burn it. Yeah. You were shedding. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very interesting, like another major shift. Well, it's interesting too, because it feels like the moment of, of, I feel like your shift is not necessarily, bear with me, is not necessarily Dave dying, but rather the moment in which you said, let it go, give it over. I feel like that's your, that's your moment because it allowed you instead of performing to what society always told you you needed to do to be successful or to have a, a successful relationship or fix everyone, whatever those things were telling you to do. Now you were able to eventually curate and focus on the things that you maybe are drawn to or most passionate about. Yeah, it's great. So yes, it is. So I'm, you know, the work as a speech pathologist and the breath work go hand in hand. I've done talking keynotes courses for many years as a professional. And so that kind of has molded itself into what I'm doing now. And I have enough time to write and I'm writing. So all of those are really great things uh, that would have never come about had I not let go of this idea of this is how it's supposed to be, or this is the only way that I'm going to be able to do it. I mean, for a long time, I thought I was so angry because he didn't have his paperwork together, right? So he didn't have his estate settled and I didn't get anything. So people think, oh, you got a big insurance policy and now you're just traveling. No. Right. No, no. Creating in this. fact, what happened? Yeah, I lost a partner and somebody who helped with half of my, you know, expenses. So no, I have had, to, I've created it out of necessity, I think, but really it's kind of been a beautiful gift for me to feel, I guess, more empowered that right. I can do it. Yeah. What's driving you now to choose the new projects to choose like what you do next or where you go? Where, what is that? look like for you? Yeah. So it's a highly intuitive, everything I do is intuitive right now. Which is different than previous version of Aaron, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very different. I always felt like somewhat committed to a decision. Like, well, I've said I was going to do this and now (laughs) I need to do this. And, um, and now I'm like, oh, this isn't working. So I'm going to do it differently. Without burning it all down without burning it all down. Yeah. Without burning it all down. I'm able to like keep the bits that work, get rid of the things that don't. And so what happened, I had to get so simple. In fact, I I should get the list and actually read you my list. So in the beginning of this, like in that three month window, it was so simple that my therapist would say to me, have you eaten food today? Mm. Have you, you know, drank water today. Very, very simple. I had people in my world who were really just angels 
that helped me function. And I thought I had come out of that. And then I was traveling and I ended up in Portland, Maine after I'd been to the desert Southwest and to Oaxaca. And then I ended up back in Portland, Maine, because I was just like drawn to that city many years ago. I thought it was a great place and let's go to Portland. And the first couple weeks that I was in Portland, I just bottomed out. Mm. I totally bottomed out. And that had been a common theme as I was transitioning different places is that I would have a really hard transition there. And then I would just set my sights on the future. Okay, well, I only have six weeks in this place, and then I move to the next one, and it will be better. So I did that for nearly a year. But when I was in Portland, I had a really keen sense that it was not place-dependent, not location-dependent. It was me-dependent. And so one morning in probably a stupor of crying. I pulled out a journal and I said, this is what I need to do. And I wrote a list of like, I don't know, 10 or 12 things that were so basic. Drink water, get, I wrote, get in water and touch your body every day. So meaning shower. But I also felt like I love to do cold water dips. So I thought that could be incorporated there too. move my body get in nature, really, really simple things. And I just kept going back to those and going back to those and going back to those because all this external stuff just was too much noise. So I found that the more I keep doing, doing my list, my list of really simple things, pray, sing, dance, whatever those things may be for, and I think they're different for different people. Well, it sounds like that list was very much like, reminding you that you are a human being with particular needs that help you function as you know, in every other space, right? But these reminders of like, come back, you're, you are living this experience. Don't forget, you're an emotional being with a human experience, if we want to quote Brene Brown. But <laughs> that's what yeah. that list sounds like to me is just those reminders that sure, they're helpful to to like exist, but also they're just reminders to, to that everything is much bigger than this. But if you can come back to yourself and realize that you're a fully formed individual, that's complex yeah. and needs, you know, but still needs simple things. I, I think that's, that's a good recommendation for people. Yeah, the simplicity is what allows me to make uh, intuitively clear decisions. So going to the next place, if I was cloudy and chaotic and anxious, it doesn't always work out real well. Right. And especially too, is that, and if you're not kind of in tune, right, you might just pick a place because you feel that on paper, it's better than the previous right. place, right? It's going to solve yep. whatever was wrong there. When all along, you probably needed to look inward to figure out what was causing the bottoming out. What Was there like a trend with that bottoming out? Every time, it just seemed like every time I moved somewhere new, I was waiting on magic. Mm. I was waiting for like the Whatever next magical like. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting cause, so I, this was not my first round with grief. My father died when I was 20 and, uh, he had been sick for a couple years. He had leukemia. And when that grief 
came into my world, it was very much like, let's drink, let's go to the bars, let's date a million boys. Let's just like, and I was in college, I was young, 20 years old, which I think is a fairly common reaction for a 20 year old. Yeah. That's just hiding, right? From the grief process. Yeah. Yeah. And then even after my divorce, which is a different type of life shift that people have. Yeah. It's grief. It was let's work and achieve. And so I really just started working and achieving and okay. So even in the structure of the life I created with Dave, and I didn't know this at the time, but it was very much like, this is what I need to feel solid. It wasn't a, a let go. It was a, a build. Let's construct this life. Let's arrange the parts so that I have this family that like, I have a ready-made family. I have a stepkid. I have a a man and it's wonderful. And all these, these parts go together nicely, but it was not maybe surrendering to what was for my greatest good. Yeah. Not to say that you weren't happy and you weren't in those spaces, but it was a lot of it was on paper. These are the check marks that I need so that other people see I'm making assumptions here, but so that other people see that I have this life one that I didn't have before, but look, like I have the partner I have, there's a kid in my life, I'm doing fun vacations, I'm working, I'm living my purpose. But in, in all actuality, had this version of Aaron lived in that version of your life, it'd probably be different, right? Oh, it would never have worked. So that it mm, during that life, that's why I went back to school to be an Ayurvedic health counselor. That's why I started the breathwork business. That's why I started doing uh, keynotes that were not along those lines of my professional work because I was filling a hole. So do you think that this version of Aaron and Dave would sync as well as the previous version of you? I do. And here's why. The gift that man gave me was that he, he loved me in a way that I've like, even my parents didn't love me that way. Nobody has ever loved me that way. He, he never understood what I was doing Hmm. and he supported it. He just loved me that much. And I hope that he felt the same way. I think it's a different sort of love that we don't always get. So it wasn't necessarily unconditional relationship at all. We both kind of, both of us held each other's feet to the fire a lot. That was part of our relationship. However, the love he had and the support he gave and the willingness to get into the unknown. So this, you know, like if you're in a partnership and this doesn't make sense, but I'm willing to work through it with you anyway, that he he gave me. So I do think that I think it might be more challenging, but he always encouraged me. He saw more potential in me than I saw in myself mostly. Yeah. I'm wondering if he saw this version of you and you weren't ready to see, I get, I mean, I get it. It's hard to see these things like until like looking back, I'm sure you're like, well, why didn't I do this stuff sooner? Right. And, and yeah. so he probably saw this version of you. And even in those little pieces that you shared in the, the Mexican restaurant conversations and like, stop trying to fix everything was maybe his like, look, you need, you need to lean into your purpose a little bit more. Right. 
Right. And in, instead of being the mom and being the partner and being the one who keeps the, the family boxes. going. Yeah. Do your thing. So, I mean, he, I don't want to say I, these conversations are hard because I have these ideas of asking these questions that sound really insensitive, but I don't mean it in an insensitive way. Is there, there probably are pieces of that experience that you're grateful for. Is that true? Uh, it is true. And it's really hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Really hard to say because it feels disrespectful. Correct. It's not. I don't think it is because I don't think Dave would think it no. is. I don't think my mom would think it is. I don't think the people that we're, we're mentioning these moments about and being grateful for, not for the moment, but for what that moment created in us. Yeah. And we all have those choices. It's how you, we all have that. You deal with loss, you deal with grief, you deal with whatever the catalyst is and you can change your life. I think we all get that choice. And I, and I've talked to a couple of people about this too. And I'm interested in your perspective is, you know, we were kind of all forced into time with ourselves during the pandemic, right? We were, a lot of us were forced to just like slow down, stop doing things. And I, other, other people on the show have called it, you know, kind of a great reset, a great awakening for myself. I've, I've taken the time to realize what's important to me versus like, what was I just doing? Checking yeah. boxes, right? Do you feel the same way about this ex global experience that we're all having? I do. And I will tell you, I, I feel like the pandemic offered Dave and I a beautiful chance to connect before he died in a way that we would have never done before. We spent many months so he died in December of 2020. So we had had several months of the pandemic that we were just together. <laughs> and he and I both tend to be very active, busy people. And we did a lot of things together, but we did things separately too. But we couldn't, yeah, we were stuck there together. And it was great. And we, you know, we just connected in a way that was a true gift. So I'm grateful for the pandemic in that regard, because I really do believe connection is one of our greatest gifts in this world. So I've, in my mind now, this new construct that I'm operating under, I, I've found that I had to, I have to get stable or create some internal stability. So in the beginning, I thought that would look like, oh, get an apartment, get a job, do this, do that. But it really boiled down to like the internal stability in me. And then pleasure and joy seem to come in when I'm a little bit more stable. But then there was like this missing piece that I've recently like re-engaged with the world. Mm. And I think that connection is part of it. But if you aren't internally clear internally settled it's really difficult to connect on a meaningful level yeah i i th i love that part of me thinks of it or, or connection to the idea of therapy in which someone that is struggling or whatever will not get value from therapy unless they're ready which is that like total understanding of like whoa 
I'm in a space that needs this, right? So part of that connects to me because, you know, for years I didn't do it and then I did it, but I didn't do it until I was ready for it. And it makes that connection and therefore opened up those other doors. So I can relate to it in a sense of that as just like self-awareness of like where you are, whatever that is, if it's good, bad, indifferent, having that understanding allows for so much more authentic experiences Do you agree? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It does. So you're now a year and a half out from this, this moment where Aaron had to let go and you're creating this life that you don't necessarily know what it looks like six months, a year from now. And that's okay with this version of Aaron. Is that true? Like you're just kind of, yeah. And and yeah, it is okay. And I think, yeah, um, I'm a little more settled. I'm going to live in Portland, Maine for a while because that, that feels really good. But no, I have no idea. And I'm, I am okay with it. I, I think that's the best I have to offer myself at this moment. Can I lighten things up just a little bit? Yes, and tell you please. a funny story. Tell me. Okay. So yesterday I went and watched Top Gun, the new mm, Top Gun the movie. New one. Have you seen it? I have not. And, and here's a, people will shame me for this. I haven't seen the original either. And my thought on this, right, I know, and I'm a kid of the 80s, so I should have seen it. However, I have a problem watching movies from like earlier time periods now, because if you don't have that nostalgia, like think about that original Terminator movie. If you were to, (laughs) that movie was epic. Like as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. If you watch that for the first time now, you'd be like, what is this? So anyway, no, I haven't seen the new Top Gun, nor have I seen the original, but I do intend on seeing at least the new one. Yeah. So I think you can watch the new one. Can I give a a little bit of a spoiler? Sure. By by the time this comes out, it's fine. Okay. So there's one scene in the movie where um, Val Kilmer, I think that's the actor's name, he plays Iceman and Maverick, Tom Cruise, are meeting up and, you know, they're older men and they're, they're having a, a discussion about what's going on and about Maverick's new, what the journey he's on. And so Iceman can't speak. So he's typing things and he types on his computer screen. Uh, it's time to let go. Hmm. And so I watched that last night and I thought, Oh my gosh, everyone needs to know this. Every it's such a common theme. It's such a common theme. I think our, capability to let go is directly proportional to our happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, especially for controlling individuals and and understanding that a lot of this is out of our control, whether we want to believe that or not. Yeah. My a friend of mine uh, that may or may not be on this podcast at some point uh, has a song. He's a, he's a musician and a, Tony winner, but has a song called let it go. And for me in my moments of like darkness, listening to that song reminded me that there's only so much that I can control. And if I let go of most of it, that's not, you know, like super close to the heart. I can, I can get through it. And and tomorrow the sun will come out. I'm not going to quote Annie here, but you know, I think it, <laughs> I think it's, it's a good thing. I mean, honestly, you know, when we first started communicating, 
you said that your shift was really Dave dying, but having the conversation, sure, it was triggered by Dave dying, but really, I think your life shift is, is that letting go moment, standing behind that couch, watching kind of the world happen as it is and going, things are going to happen whether I choose for them to or not, right? Would Right. Do, yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Oh, I think that's totally it. I think it's yeah. 100% that was the life shift of when I when I made the choice to let go. And interestingly, just my personality and who I am, how I'm wired, how my nervous system is wired as that controlling type person, it, I had to be taken out. It wouldn't have happened in any other like mild kind of way. It just wouldn't work for me. And you probably had Dave uh, lived, you probably wouldn't have listened to his, you need to stop fixing or stop trying to fix things. Never. I thought he was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, what I love about your story is how vivid that day be, that day of and all the things that happened that day are for you because you know i don't think a lot of people have that opportunity especially in a moment of deep despair and your life essentially crumbling right in, in a yeah. moment to remember like these really like impactful conversations that probably yeah. are like little like reminders in your day-to-day yeah. -day now they are. And I, luckily I had enough wherewithal in the beginning to just start writing mm, and helps. I wrote it all down. I just wrote and wrote and wrote, I wrote it all down. Yeah. Even though he told you, you don't write, don't lock yourself no. in the house. So this is <laughs> so early in our relationship. Uh, he had, I was at his home staying. He had to work one day and his refrigerator broke down and I decided I was, while he was at work, I was going to help him clean, like I would clean it out so that he could just, you know, move it out and get a new refrigerator. And then his mother stopped by. <laughs> so I ended up cleaning out the refrigerator with this woman that I barely knew, like his 70 some year old mom, you know, it was like a whole ordeal. And he got home and I was like sweaty. And that's just, Discuss, like nobody wants to clean out a refrigerator, right? Yeah, no. That's not a fun mm -hmm. job. And 
so I said, you have to take me to dinner. Like, I'm going to go shower and I got to get out of this house. You have to take me to dinner. And we get in the car and I looked at him and I said, you know what? I must really like you because I am a dreamer and a writer. I don't do things like this. <laughs> and I re- like, I will never forget his face. He just looked at me like, what? You- and he's okay. Well, okay. you're, you're a dreamer and a writer. <laughs> and you still are. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the most beautiful way possible. Right. And now you can really do it the way that that makes the most sense for your heart moving forward. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. I like to end these conversations with questions that are unanswerable or a question that is unanswerable so far. But if you could go back and talk to day after Aaron, is there anything that you would say to her? Uh, Be patient with yourself in the process. Yeah. Yeah, just be patient. And whatever you're doing at any moment is okay. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that response, uh, especially for people that I've talked to about grief, is very similar is that yeah things will happen in whatever time table they happen in they do and we can't control it unfortunately let go let right? go let go trust yeah. the process my biggest advice always in in any kind of grief situation having my own experiences is really what worked for me is honoring how I felt at any particular moment mm-hmm. that even now, if I'm having a bad day, I acknowledge that I let myself have that bad day, right? I don't try to, to manipulate whatever my body is needing to do or feeling at that moment in time. But what helps me is just acknowledging that, that it's there, it's going to happen yeah. and that it's not forever. It's just part of being this, yeah. like, you know, emotional none of it's permanent none of it's permanent the timeline's not permanent the emotions the thoughts none of it none of it well i appreciate you sharing your journey because i think hearing how people process really devastating moments like this and what they can create out of it and and the fact that you are finding new spaces to exist in, whether that's physical or, you know, kind of emotionally or however that may be is really inspiring for people that, you know, it doesn't all end when it seems like it's all ending. Right. That's my intention. That's the intention of me doing doing any of this is to let people know this isn't, there is light at the end of the tunnel, even when it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so much of grief is that we just like in these moments, it's like, how does life go on? Like, is it yeah. possible? Yeah. And it is. it is. And it's, and just like we said earlier, it's really hard to say, but eventually, hopefully everyone will get to a moment in which they're grateful for the moment that changed them. Yeah. I think so. I don't, I couldn't have said that six months ago. No. Oh, I hate saying it, but it's so true, you know, and 
I've said it before on this podcast, people will be like, if you could go back in time and change X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't because I wouldn't yeah. be who I am and what I'm doing and where I am and the people I know. Everything that I have now is a product of that, that moment, that shift in my trajectory of whatever that may be. Sure, it'd be interesting to see what life would be like, right. you know, like that movie Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like, yeah. if this one thing didn't go that way, what does that multiverse look like for Matt? Right. I don't want to change it. I, I like this movie that I'm a part of right now. Me too. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you for being a part of this podcast. And I hope that the people listening can connect with what you're doing and what you're sharing. We'll share a little bit more about uh, your next steps in the show notes. So if anyone's interested, uh, take a look at those and uh, connect with Aaron. Thank you, Matt. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and this is The Life Shift, candid conversations about the pivotal moments that change lives forever. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information about how you can support The Life Shift Podcast, please visit www.thelifeshiftpodcast.com. See you next time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.